six-figure business for myself running yoga teacher training. In 2016, I partnered with a few other yoga teachers and bought a yoga studio. In 2019, we bought another one. Then at the end of that year, I left the studios and my teacher training business behind to create an online business mentoring yoga teachers. If you want the inside scoop on how I made a reliable living from my craft, I share it all in my new weekly video newsletter called The Practice. Because just like yoga, creating a sustainable business requires consistent, inspired action. And after over a decade of being self-employed, I have a few ideas to share. You can sign up right now for free and get a new video filled with actionable strategies for building a sustainable business in your inbox every single week just by signing up at corajaru.com slash newsletter. It's my mission to remind you that you are not alone. And I hope to be a resource for your life and work on the spiritual path, both in your teaching and your business. But for now, I hope you enjoy the show. And I, I haven't yet, yeah, we had to bet. I'm only here, yeah, you know. If you don't like this music, then don't be listening to it, you know. I'm just a dude that you know. Or something similar if you don't keep it real can you hello hello and welcome back to another episode of the teaching yoga podcast on today's show i speak with olivia bergren about how to bring semi-free movement into your yoga classes this is something that i experimented with quite a lot in the last couple of years that I was teaching full time. And to be honest, as you will hear in the interview, sometimes that worked better than others. Encouraging semi-free movement, which Olivia defines, and we'll get into that in the interview, but you can imagine it like movement that doesn't have a particular set of um, alignment and it's more exploratory. If you have tried offering that in your class, you know that uh, if not done mindfully and with intention and with a certain set of parameters can quickly lead to you losing control of the class and it becoming <laughs> a 
complete mess. So if you have wondered about incorporating different types of movement into your class, I think you will really enjoy this interview with Olivia. Now, if you're not familiar with Olivia's work, she is the founder of Move With Ease. I highly recommend that you go on Instagram if that's where you hang out and check her out on Instagram. She posts a lot of great content. Move With Ease is a method that blends free and joyful movement with mobility training and breath awareness. She's been practicing and teaching yoga for about 15 years. And began her journey with Ashtanga with years of dedicated practice. She has gradually shifted to an interdisciplinary practice that supports and uplifts her in every aspect of life. In Olivia's classes, you can expect a playful, non-dogmatic approach to movement where the students are supported to cultivate inner awareness, body knowledge, and self-confidence. Olivia believes that by supporting people to explore movement, breath, and mind with an open mind, they can grow as individuals and practitioners. Olivia also just graduated as a physiotherapist, which is pretty cool, and specializes in behavioral medicine and now strives to blend treatment with her passion for movement and personal growth. Olivia offers classes online and in real life (laughs) Uh, and also one-on-one work, as well as education for yoga teachers who want to refine and evolve their way of teaching to an inviting, supportive way of emphasis with emphasis on communication. Uh, She currently lives in Sweden, and I just dropped my lip balm, which you probably heard in the recording. So in this episode, Olivia and I talk about her story of pain and pregnancy and Ashtanga yoga and how that all went together, why Olivia stopped teaching Ashtanga, how Olivia began to bring in new and different movements into her class, why it's okay for the process of changing teaching styles to be a little bit messy at first. And this is definitely what I experienced. Olivia also shares many practical tips for how you can successfully bring more semi-free movement into your class. And I was really, really grateful to Olivia about like how detailed and practical she was, because this was something that I was really curious about talking to other people who have done this kind of experimentation in their classes and how to actually make it work. And why saying, if it hurts, don't do it, might not be the best approach. Have you said that in your classes? I know I have. Uh, I I think I even said it to my partner the other day in the gym. If it hurts, you should probably stop doing it. But Olivia breaks down why maybe that's not the best approach. You know, I'm not a physiotherapist or a person who studies pain. So, you know, take it as you will. And also tips for managing students' expectations when teaching novel movements in class important. (laughs) Um, It's all about managing expectations. Uh, As you know, if you've ever done any of this kind of bringing in new and different movements, I know that when I used to bring in resistance bands and and weights and all those sorts of things, uh, it's good good to have like, you know, crowd management tools on hand in, in those circumstances, especially if that's not what someone was expecting. Okay, so we will get into Olivia's interview in just a second. But before we do, I just want to remind you that this week, so Thursday, September 16th at 7 a.m., in Australia, I am leading a free class all about the six steps to launching your new yoga business. So if you are a yoga teacher, which 
you know, why are you listening to this? If you're not, that would be really interesting, but that's not who I'm talking to. I'm assuming you're a yoga teacher and you're trying to figure out how to make your career sustainable. In my experience, the best way to do that is actually to run your own business, but there's no roadmap for that, right? Or is there? Well, I have started many businesses um, online and in real life. I used to own a couple of yoga studios and had a teacher training business for a long time um, and now run an online business. And in this workshop or this free class on the 16th, I'm teaching the six steps that I have used repeatedly when launching new businesses, as well as I've now taught that to hundreds of people, hundreds of teachers, um, or maybe let's say not say hundreds, but over a hundred teachers. And that's what I'm sharing on Thursday, September 16th. We already have, I think, like over 25 people registered for that. And I'm recording this you know, a little bit in advance. And I haven't really even talked about it on my Instagram at this point. Um, So I would love to see you there. I'm also going to talk about my teacher training in that class. The teacher training is a 50 hour business 101 training for yoga teachers. So if you want to learn the six steps, or you want to hear more about my teacher training, then come check it out out. Okay, so, uh, oh, the link (laughs) will be in the description of this episode. But it's also just corejeru.com slash free training. So if it's easier for you just to remember that, great. If it's easier for you to click on the link, you know where to find it. Okay, now let's get into my conversation with Olivia. Hey, Olivia, thank you so much for coming on to the show today. Hi, thank you for having me. Yeah, I'm super excited to have you. Um, I would love if you could start us off with just a little bit about the work that you're doing and how you started to incorporate different modalities into what you do. Yeah, sure. So um, I live in Vesteros in Sweden and I teach weekly classes at a local, local yoga studio. And I also run my own uh, online yoga business um, where I offer, well, one-to-one classes, group classes, and um, workshops. Um, yeah. And I just graduated as a physiotherapist. I saw <laughs> so that. I saw that on your Instagram. Congratulations. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. That's big. <laughs> yeah, it's huge. How long, how long was the training for that? Well, it's uh, three years. Wow. Um, yeah, but I took it actually over four years because the first year was was just well too much of having a little, you know, well, um, a young child and working a little bit too much with my <laughs> yoga business and yeah, it didn't go very well with the studies. So um, <laughs> yeah, I took a break and had the chance to um, yeah take the courses that I just couldn't finish. So so that was quite great actually. So, but now I'm done. <laughs> wow. So, so you teach yoga and I think we'll get a little bit um, more into your backstory later, but what, um, what sparked your interest in studying physiotherapy? Well, yeah, that was actually because I was teaching yoga at the time and that was in, in the beginning of me teaching classes that would, was not classical, well, traditional yoga, but more of an explorative approach. 
And I've had some, I wouldn't call it yoga injuries, but I had injuries over the years that, um, well, for many reasons, but well, main reason I think was because I was only practicing Ashtanga and I didn't add it up with any weight training or anything else. And, um, and I also, at the time, I realized that I didn't know very much about either the body, like anatomy. <laughs> yeah, it's quite, I'm not unique <laughs> in that way, I think. Mm. And I didn't know much about physiology either, like what's a normal breath is. I knew some about pranayama, but I didn't know much about like a normal breath. And I just felt that if a student came to me with, let's say, an injury of any kind, I wouldn't be able to answer anything. I would just pass them by to, well, to a physiotherapist or a doctor. And I just wanted to do better than that. So that was the main thing, like wanting to know, wanting to know more about, well, the body and movement. So yeah, that's the short answer. Mm. Yeah, no, I can, I can definitely relate to that, that moment when you're like, oh, wait a minute, I know nothing. <laughs> it's yeah. like shit. I actually it's scary. <laughs> yeah. I remember I was you know, actually um at a yoga studio. I think I had either just taught a yoga class or I was about to teach a yoga class. I can't remember. But the I was talking to the receptionist and behind the desk and I just like was my back was up against the wall in the reception and I just remember like sliding down the wall and being like I know nothing <laughs> it's like what am I going to teach or what did I just teach you know um, exactly oh yeah it's crazy but thing now is that I know more obviously well at least I hope so but it's more like you know confused just on a higher level because <laughs> you know, the more you know the more like I worry you, know you don't that. know yeah I mean, there is so much, it's so much out there. So, but I, I guess I know the basics now. <laughs> mm. How did you, um, how did you make that transition from practicing? And I think, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think you were teaching Ashtanga as well. Like, how did you make that transition into teaching a class that was a bit more, um, like, you know, free form and exploratory because Ashtanga's, you know, for everybody listening, they'll be aware it's a, it's a set sequence usually and teachers do vary but not a lot within that well how was that transition um yeah first of all it was a um, not a like from one day to another transition uh quite over a quite long time um but i think i have to start with like telling you about like i was practicing ashtanga and i had this um honeymoon of a few years where everything just felt great in my body body was quite of a fast progression and I felt very capable and I was really you know dedicated and into it but then slowly there was things appearing in my body like having a achy knee and a painful shoulder and a not so happy lower back and well the approach in that community is very much about like if you are in pain, well, then just keep practicing and things will get better over time. Or, well, anyways, it's not about the physical body, so it's about something else. So it doesn't matter so much, that kind of attitude. So, uh, and, and then I got pregnant and then it became very evident that it wasn't really working so well for me. <laughs> and it was a huge step for me, first of all, just admitting that I needed to do something else. 
And just as many like new like mothers to be, I was thinking and hoping that after labor everything would go back to normal, that I would have my body back, quote unquote, and <laughs> yeah, we go back to my practice. But I was still in pain, you know, six months after labor, I was still having those quite, I mean, I could walk in that, but I, I had pain, like too much pain. So, and yeah, and, and then I started to do rehab and it was very much about understanding that some areas of my body was highly underloaded while other was overloaded uh, due to the practice. And as, as I said before, I, I hadn't, haven't been doing anything else except for Ashtanga yoga. So yeah, and, and then I stumbled over uh, Yoga Detour actually, Cicely Mine and her work. and she had kind of a similar um, story about, you know, practicing lots of Ashtanga and then, well, coming to a point where it didn't work for her anymore and then starting to to learn more about the body and like how, what are we doing in a yoga class? Like, like the first few years in Ashtanga, it's lots of forward bends and then there's quite extreme back bends. And even though it feels like you are moving the whole body, it's so many ways that you are not moving in Ashtanga or in, or in a regular yoga class yes so I, I started to to learn more from her first to begin with and starting to do hip cars and like really <laughs> and also backing off from um, passive stretching took a big break from that and initially I was I, you know I was nervous to lose my flexibility because that was important for me at the time uh, but I quite fast understood that I wasn't lo wasn't losing my flexibility. Quite the contrary, I felt more in control. Actually, I could still do uh, quite bendy thing, but without pain because I have gotten stronger through uh, strength work and mobility training rather than just focusing on the passive ranges. So, but that was my own practice. But I did uh, still teaching Ashtanga, and it wasn't until. And I clearly remember that um, I had a class here in the, uh, at the studio and I was looking into my class and all of my students at the time was ladies from, well, 30 up to even 70 years old. And they were all standing in Virabhadrasana A. I'm, like, I can see them in front of me right now. And I was just like, you know, it was just hitting me like, why are we here? Like, what is this what I can offer them right now? Is this their best option? And kind of in that moment took a decision that I wanted to offer something else. And I have a very great uh, boss here <laughs> who, who's running the studio, Jerika. Thank you so much. Um, <laughs> and I was like, I told her, like, I can't do this anymore. I can't teach Ashtanga. And she was like, yeah, what do you want to do? Well, I don't know, but we can call it move with ease. So that was the beginning of that um, wow. kind of class but yeah from there it was very you know I didn't know what to offer instead and I didn't want it to just swap it to like vinyasa uh, I, I wanted to do different you know so yeah I just started to try different things out and I think it was quite messy in the beginning and every <laughs> class was more of a workshop I would say so there was some people that's yeah, lost patience with me, um, <laughs> but, but new people came. So I think that was okay. Mm. Long answer. Mm -hmm. No, 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 it's good. It's good to hear the story and, and the, um, the sort of arc of how that happened because 
I'm I didn't practice Ashtanga as as such a dedicated student, but I did practice it for several years as my main practice. And um, you know, and similarities to your story, but also differences. And then but when I started teaching something that wasn't a set sequence or that and then I moved to teaching something that, as you said, like wasn't necessarily um what you would see in any contemporary yoga class and adding in elements from yoga detour, all those other sorts of things too. It was messy <laughs> and in the beginning and it, and it wasn't as refined, um, you know, because it was much more um, experimental. And so has your teaching, like, have, do you feel like you've found a bit of a groove now where it's like less messy and maybe in my classes, I could totally relate to it being like workshoppy style where it's like, stop, start, check this out, try that. Um, have you found sort of a groove with what you're doing now? I think so. I mean, sometimes after class, class, I'm like, oh, what was that all about? But um, I don't know if the students always recognize. I mean, I think <laughs> you are your own worst critic. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I think first of all, I'm I'm not trying to cover everything like I just like I did before in the beginning. I'm trying to keep it simple. Um, I have one intention, which is I want people to leave and feel that they have moved the whole body and going a little bit away from only moving in, you know, sagittal plane, plane or frontal plane, uh, but moving more, um, yeah, in in various ways, like undulations and uh, circles and loops. And I'm trying to explore more of what I call movement qualities, like reaching, swiping, uh, rather than um, now we're going to do a twist. But it's very much about... Mm, yeah, moving in in different ways, so you really feel that you have been, you know, molding the body. Um, unless, well, I, there was a time I choose like a peak pose, which I don't do anymore sometimes. But then it's not uh, not a, like a classical yoga peak pose, but more of a, well, this is where we're gonna end with this uh, sort of. Yeah, I think I found the groove. <laughs> Keep coming back to the question. Um, I think, yeah, keep it simple. I think that has been my my best advice to myself. And, you know, maybe having like one thing, like one lesson, so to speak, like I want them to feel that the breath is moving the rib cage and down the belly. I want them to find that kind of breath. Um, And that could be, well, the goal or, or the intention of that class too. When you say movement qualities and you mentioned reaching, I was like, yep, I can, I can see that. And it's something I do at the gym and it feels good. And, um, and then you mentioned swiping. Yeah. (laughs) I was like, I don't know if I know what that one is. Um, can you, can you unpack what swiping is? And then if there are other movement qualities that just, you know, come to your mind off the top of your head? Yeah, so if reaching is, uh, in my mind, that is like, let's say you see something in front of you, you want to you reach that. So you reach out to get that. And maybe you hold it in the end, you hold the reach. And swiping is like, you take your hand, for example, or the foot, but let's say the hand, and you swipe that in front of you from, let's say, from the right to the left, and then back again. Mm, so it's mm-hmm. kind of imagine that you are steering a very big stew 
Yep. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Yep. Yep. To me, yep. that is swiping. Okay, cool. I also pictured like a cat. Yeah. <laughs> and when and when they hit things, like they're not grabbing it. They don't have thumbs or fingers or anything, but like they're or or like, you know, if if you walk by and your cat is being sneaky and it swipes you, is that kind of the same <laughs> same movement? Is that is that it? Um Maybe? I don't know really. I can't see that, but I don't know a cat either. Oh, but. okay. Okay, cool. I'll I'll send you a cat video later and you'll be like, yeah, yes, that's it, or no, it's not. Um but I think I, I can understand when you're saying like stirring something or like moving it back and forth without the intention to actually, you know, grab an object. Um and then are there other like qualities that you would point out in class? Mm. I think, well, maybe it's not a quality, but loops. So let's say that you you draw a, a eight with your hand or your foot. So that would make a movement, right? Yeah. You draw eight. And yes, so so making a loop. But a loop, I, mean, I guess a sun salute also is a loop in a way because you, you start in one point and then you come back to it, like reverse the movement. That's cool. Um, yeah. Reversing too, that's a big thing. I, I think, like, let's say you do a movement and you're like, well, yeah, nail it, nail it, nail it. Um, yeah. you know how to do it. Yeah. And then you're asked to reverse it. And then you're like, oh, the brain is just on fire. Yeah. I'm just <laughs> like doing that. that now with drawing. I'm drawing a figure eight with my arm. And then I tried to reverse it. And it was like, it was pretty yeah. clunky with that. Yeah. You have to think. Yeah. And I think that is also one, uh, a character. Um, uh, I think with my classes is that you actually you need to think quite a lot um, not in an intellectual way but you know you have to figure out the movements and I think that's why people often leave the class feeling quite relaxed because they are kind of forced to leave the words outside the class because they need to focus so much on the movements and some people get so frustrated and some people are just like, they just love it that they need to figure out. But I think it's, yeah, you have to kind of know the people. And like if someone is completely new, maybe you keep it or I keep it even more simple so that they come back. <laughs> Otherwise, they're like going to give up. Yeah, I love figuring out movements in class. It's um, like as a student, because I have such a busy mind that if it's not given a task that it has to accomplish, my mind will just go crazy. Um, and having movements like that or like task-based movements, um, it's what allows me to actually be present. But I have noticed, and I think you probably have too from what you've just said, that some people do not like that at all. They say, I don't want to think when I come to yoga <laughs> or, or I, I want to be just guided you know, every step of the way um, and not have to figure anything out. But, and and that's one of the challenges that I've found when I've tried to incorporate, like, I'm going to use your term because I think it was on your website, like semi-free movement. I, I was trying to interpret what I thought you meant by that. And when I brought types of movement that were a bit more free form into my class, I did notice that some people really lapped it up and then others really struggled with it. Um, and they didn't. They didn't enjoy it. <laughs> Do you have any? Have any? Well, I guess first of all, we should define what semi-free movement is. But then after that, do you have any tips on reaching people who are not necessarily into it at first sight? 
Yeah, sure. So to me, symmetry, it's a way of explaining um, the type of class I do. Uh, I don't do that 100%. There will be some movements that are more precise, like, okay, we're going to do this kind of hip work in order to target, uh, let's say, internal rotation. So we're going to do all the same, everyone in the class. Um, but symmetry to me is that you have a frame. And we can we can try that right now, right now actually. Like, you either sit or stand, and uh, this is just an example, obviously, but uh, try to cross your hands or your arms in front of you, in front of your chest. And then imagine that you are covering inside of a globe. So you move your rib cage to cover that inside of the globe. You get it? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. And depending on who you are, the movement is going to look different, right? Some people is going to have lots of movements available and other people won't. And then you could try to reach out your hands or your arms, and then you're going to cover the inside of a globe with your hands as well. So you're given a frame, like this is what we're going to try, but you are free to move freely within that frame. So to me, that is semi-free. It's yeah. not just like, uh, welcome, here's, uh, go to your mat and do whatever you want. <laughs> Although that would have been fun too. But I think people, well, they come to your class to be to get somehow guided, right? So I give them a frame and then they explore within that. And then we move on to another frame, which could be something else. And they, you can say, well, try to put your hand here just outside your shoulder. Let's say you sit on your side in kind of a mermaid position. And then we try to move, to put the hand a little bit more in front of you and even more in front of you and maybe come onto your forearm. So there is many options. And then depending on who is in the class, I look around and see how that is landing for them. I can ask them to, well, now you can, well, choose any of those positions or you can go back and forth and try out what feels interesting in your body. So that is symmetry um, to me. And I totally hear you, like some people don't like that. And first of all, I think it's good to acknowledge that you can not make a class where everyone is enjoying it as much. So that is one thing. I mean, some people, they're not just into my class and I have to live with that. It is what it is. But I think that if you want to well, invite more people. It's um, very much about like looking around, like how is things landing for people? And if you see that people are completely lost, they look <laughs> around what are other people doing, classic. Um, you give them some more precise cues, which can be a kind of like, you know, lure them in, which is really, okay, put your hand here and do this movement. And then you put your hand there and you do the same kind of movement just with your hand in another position and then you put your hand there and you try that so it's still options but i'm more precise with uh, offering them what to do so i think that's one way to kind of catch more people Uh, but still i mean some people they just want to flow and be like being told when to breathe in what pace and how many breaths for each position and then that is not going to happen in my class so yeah they go to to another class mm. yeah and and being okay with that i think is 
is part of the the lesson in it. There's when you try something that is different or that it is new or that um, maybe isn't the norm. It's it's not a personal reflection on you or you know whatever as a teacher that some people won't like it. It's just that maybe that style is not for them, and that's totally totally okay. Yeah, sure. And and also, I mean, I must admit that my class at the studio is not the most popular class at all. People are very much into, we have a hot room, people love it. Um, they We have some kind of fast flow vinyasa, people love that. And yeah, if that's a thing, you know, people maybe not ready for my class, I don't know. But um I have over the years, obviously, you know, considered what is it I'm offering. Maybe I should try to do it more mainstream, so to speak, and have it having it more inclusive. But I think also that's something that you know, my, me and my my boss talk about, like how can we have more people in class? And but now with the pandemic, it's been obviously harder. Um, yeah, but yeah, I think to me the mo- most important thing is that. The people who come to my class, they've been coming for years. And I'm like, well, they keep coming coming back. So I do must do something right, right? For them at least. <laughs> yeah, I remember um I I think it was when I was in one of her trainings. I don't know if you know the teacher Sarah Powers. She's from the US, but um lives and teaches in the UK now. And she used to teach Ashtanga and then she taught Vinyasa as well. And then she started teaching Yin. And at that point, Yin didn't exist, right? And nobody knew what it was. And um, it it wasn't it, it wasn't a well-known style. And she went from teaching like super packed classes at the studio in um, I think in I think it was in Los Angeles and you know, teaching packed vinyasa classes, packed ashtanga classes. And then she went from that into teaching a few students in her living room. (laughs) And she was teaching yin yoga. And she said she would look out at the driveway and be like, oh, there's someone else here. There's another car. Yay. Someone, Someone else is coming to my class. And so I think that it can, it can just also take time for, um, for people to get used to something that is just simply different. Like, and, and now yin yoga is very popular, right? So it's, um, it yeah. can just take time. For sure. And I think in, in my town, yoga is actually quite new. Um, surprisingly. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think this studio opened, is it five years ago? Yeah. That was, uh, the first like proper yoga studio. Otherwise it's been in the gyms. So people have moved from, taking yoga classes at the gym and then now going to a studio so there is also this you know uh, people maybe want to have yoga as they recognize it from you know instagram and like mainstream yoga like they they want to have their sun salutes and their um, warriors and yeah the asanas Mm. Mm. i feel you can i ask to kind of like nitty gritty questions about your class, just because I'm trying to like imagine it as if I was there. Yeah. Um, you know how you said that you might use a frame and then Matt, well, let's use the globe frame as our example. Mm-hmm. And you're like, okay, imagine you're touching all of the parts of the inside of the globe. Do you give people a time that they're doing that? Like we're going to do this for the next three minutes 
or do you just tell them when it's going to when it's close to being done? Like, do you how do you manage time in that situation? Yeah, good question. So no, I don't I don't clock them. I don't say three minutes, but I have a sense of. Um, and this is very much about, you know, I, I look around and I see where they're at. And sometimes, especially now with the pandemic, I'm not supposed to, you know, walk around in room. I'm, I'm supposed to stay where I am. So I'm actually doing the movement a little bit by myself. And then I can feel like, okay, well, time to move on. So I used to say like, yeah, we're going to be here for a little while. So if there is something you need to try here that maybe you haven't tried to put your hand there, you, you can do that now. Mm-hmm, then we're going to mm-hmm. move on. Yeah. Cool. That's cool. how we do it. Awesome. And then one more question that's a, that's a nitty gritty one. How do you manage transitions? Because like, you know, in a vinyasa class or an ashtanga class, it's like every movement leads somewhat seamlessly, almost as if it's like choreographed. Mm. One movement leads into the next. So like, even if you're thinking um, ashtanga, it's like shoulder stand at the end when you're finished, you would do fish pose. and whether or not that's like the best pose to do after shoulder stand that is up for debate <laughs> but mm-hmm. it, but it 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 fits seamlessly yeah. in, like you're already on your back so there you go um and then but with like a imagining the globe situation and then if i were to move into another frame that was similar like how are you getting people from one thing to the next I move them. <laughs> yeah, cool. No, but um, well, first of all, I'm trying not to, you know, go from uh, sitting on the floor up to standing, sitting again, you know, back and forth. You know, so if if I have beforehand, I have in mind, okay, this is a few things I want to do sitting. So cool. we do them, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and let's say we sit on our on a block or or um, a cushion, like okay, ask them to put that away, and. Prefer, let's say you're sitting, right? You can just put your hands in front of you and then suddenly you're in quadruple. So now we are in quadruple. And from quadruple, you can push back into down dog, facing dog, down dog, mm-hmm. <laughs> downward <laughs> facing dog. Um, but sure, I, I mean, I don't have um, a preset way of, like, like we have in, in Ashtanga. I don't necessarily know exactly beforehand what to do. I'm uh, improvising quite a lot. So, but I'm trying to do it, you know, fluently. But I think that is something that I'm actually challenged, uh, I'm challenged with, like having it more, you know, a fluent transitions and flowy. And I think that is something that my people might uh, miss in my classes is that, fluent transitions flowy Mm. transitions yeah they missed it in my classes (laughs) Mm. and and i um Mm. it's tricky it's tricky but you like um yeah it's tricky and sometimes it just doesn't work like i found that if you want those fluid trans like i guess it's determining what's your priority Mm. and if those transitions are your priority you can absolutely absolutely put them in but then sometimes if they're not your priority, it just doesn't make sense. And sometimes you're just like, okay, well, now stand up <laughs> or whatever. <laughs> and it just becomes like that. But I personally don't don't particularly mind that. Um, but it was something that I was conscious of in my teaching near the end when I was trying to incorporate more fluid, different types of like non 
contemporary yoga movements into my classes, I was like, huh, yeah, I think some people miss the transitions. <laughs> yeah, sure. But but to be honest, to me, it's not that important either. Like in my own practice, well, sure, I can flow from, yeah, let's say quadruple to downward facing dog and then walk forward to standing. Sure, I can do that. But um, I can also not do that. But um, I think it's important to, as you say, like what is your priority and like what is your intention with your class is it for them to flow mindlessly is that your intention or is it something else so being okay with that maybe you are not both doing that mobility work and that free form explore, um, exploration and flow and transitions maybe you maybe you shouldn't try to cover everything and i think that at least what that's the feedback I get from my classes is that you leave the class and you feel very much in your body. You really feel that you have been moving the whole body in different ways. Some areas, let's say we have done some mobility work for the hips. You feel that, well, you've really been working with your hips here, but you have also been challenging your brain with trying to figure out a task-based um, movement and you have also have had the space and the time to explore, let's say, your uh, thoracic spine. So I think that, and also having time for shavasana, that's a priority to me, like having time to really, you know, relax in the end, whatever you, we have been doing before that, ending up in shavasana, it's important for me. So I, I think that for me, like having um seamless transition it's it's not my priority it's not mm, mm. yeah yeah no I feel you it's um <laughs> it wasn't mine either uh but I was just went, like some teachers do it so well and I was like yeah that's not that's not me um what like I know like I I'm not being very articulate today <laughs> I'm stumbling on my words but I like the style, I haven't done a class with you, but I like the style of yoga that you're describing. It's something that I enjoy as a student. Like it's just, you know, thinking about if just personal preference, it's like, okay, I enjoy that. Um, and so I know, I know how I feel after practicing in that way. But in your perspective as someone who is teaching in that way, and you know, you have studied physiotherapy and you know what's going on in the body at least a little bit more than I do like what is the actual benefit to the student like if you were trying to give me your sales pitch and I was mm -hmm. at the front desk of the studio saying which class should I go to and you were trying to say come to mine but I was like well that sounds weird it's like why would I do that like what's the benefit for the student yeah that's a, a very good question I think um Obviously, I'm strongly biased towards my own <laughs> class. But I think that, well, the short-term benefit is that you have really been moving the body in many different ways. Mm. So there has, hasn't been an emphasis on like forward bends or back bends. You have been doing a little bit of, of everything. And I think that, you know, at least for me, uh, I can have a sense of, let's say, in the end of the day, I feel like, oh, I, I, I need to do some um, something for my hips, right? Or, oh, I'm, I'm craving a, a twist or something like that. 
Um, but I do not know exactly what I want to do until I actually do it. So again, coming back to that, covering the, um, the inside of a globe with the chest. While I do that, I most likely um, understand or feel, I, I find areas in my body while I'm moving that needs attention that I didn't know before. It's not, you know, I go to the mat and I feel like, oh, I need to do to move my ribcage to the right side. No, it's something that I understand. Uh, it appears to me while I'm doing it. And I think the same goes for most people, I guess, that it's hard to know exactly what you, what you want to do until you do it. So in this kind of um, open-framed uh, approach, there is actually space and time to to find the areas that needs attention that you didn't know before. So that would also be like the short-term thing. And the long-term, and maybe that's not what I'm telling someone in, like in, in the <laughs> desk, at the desk at, at the yoga studio, but people get more um, undependent. Like they don't need me um, as much because they have, and this goes especially for people who keep coming back, that they learn to move in ways so that they have this experience of, well, I can just move around and I find areas that needs more attention. They don't need to be told exactly what to do in, in order to find that. So in my mind, I'm like, you know, giving this space to actually having empowered students that is very much in charge of their own physical health. And I can give them ideas, but it's very much like up to them what to do with those ideas. So that what I would say is the long term that they um, trust themselves more than if they are always told what to do. And I know some people they don't want to have that responsibility. They, as you said before <laughs> earlier in the, in the talk, that they want to be told what to do. So, of course, it's, I mean, sometimes you need to hold people a little bit more in, you know, holding hands a little bit more. But I think that when people keep coming back, that they understand that they have so much, you know, wisdom in their own bodies that it's very liberating to have that opportunity to, yeah, to explore more independent. Yeah, Um it, I know a lot of people from teaching and just in personal life who have fear around moving their body. I don't know if, if you've encountered students like that, um, who they want you to tell them the right way to move and so that they don't get injured or hurt. And I, and I, I have met so many people like that and I totally get it. It's like your, your self-protective mechanism. You're trying to stay safe. and um, having been someone who like, I was a pretty nerdy kid, but I was always very also physical and jumping on things and climbing and started yoga when I was super young, um, like 15 or something. And so I personally didn't have that because I was used to flinging myself around and jumping off of things and doing a lot of yoga. It's like, no, I, I know what my body can do and what it can't do. And I'm, I don't have fear around movement, but it sounds like the practice that you're, you know, some of the benefits of the practice that you're suggesting could, and I, you, you've said this, I'm not saying anything that you haven't already said, but that could give people 
that sense of personal empowerment to like reduce the fear of their own body and <laughs> fear of moving their own body and like fear of doing something wrong. Um, because they're actually, as you said, like that, you know, the one exercise that we've totally killed to death of the globe, um, <laughs> of moving <laughs> your chest around the inside of it. But like, you have to do all sorts of weird things to be able to do that. Like you have to move in, in different ways that somebody may, may be like, oh, is this safe? And it's like, well, you can feel into that in your body, but they might just not have had an opportunity to do that before, you know? Yeah. For sure, and I think that it's it, that's is really a challenge actually because I see and I hear that there is a lot of fear going on. Like, let's say, can the knee, you know, pass the ankle? That discussion um, is it okay to, or how valuable is it to pull your navel in? Do we need to protect the spine? Uh, in in different positions, that kind of thing, and I think that the take it takes more than just one class to get over those fears. But I think that um, if I see that, or if I sense that people are like maybe scared of moving in a different way, first of all, it's it's an open class, right? So I would sometimes say it like if this feels like if you can't do this or if you don't want to do that, it's, it, this is just a suggestion. You can do this instead. I'm not saying like, oh, if, this, if, you, if, if you can't do that, you can do this modified wor- version. No, I give them many different versions within a certain movement. So that fe- they feel that they have a choice, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's not because they're not you know, good enough or all that. It's just there is different options. And sometimes if, if I feel that it's valuable to address, let's say I ask them to pass the knee by the, you know, in front of the ankle, I can even say that, you know, say it out loud. Well, this is totally okay to do with your <laughs> knee. You have, you do that all the time when you walk in a stair, I can say that. And they're like, oh yeah, okay. Yeah, you're right. So, and I think maybe it helps. They know, you know, I've been studying physiotherapy. Maybe that's a part of it that, ah, because she says it, she must know, you know, so so I trust her, which is not my intention. You know, I, I don't want them to trust me because I'm studying physiotherapists. I want them to trust themselves. But sometimes it's helpful to actually say that, you know, it, it's totally fine. Um, And that's also something that I'm really... You know, when I did Ashtanga Yoga, it was so much about correct alignment, right? Knee has to point there and tuck your tailbone there and relax your buttocks there, you know, all those kind of alignment rules. And I realized that, you know, and I really believed in those uh, rules. I thought, yeah, of course. I mean, teacher says so, so it must be true. But then I realized that I got hurt anyways. So, <laughs> you know, what's what was the point with having the knee in that direction? And what was the point of relaxing the butt in the in a backbend, you know? So I really learned to question what people are saying. And the more I study also in physiotherapists, that, you know, it's so complicated and it's so complex that injures and i know this is a like um really a rabbit hole you know pain mm-hmm. uh, science what is pa- pain how it's is it related to the physical body is pain uh, the same as injure well no not always 
But why do we have pain? When should we listen to the pain? When should we back off? Uh, there is so much in it. Um, I think that is um, maybe a podcast by itself. <laughs> <laughs> but, and I think, I mean, that's something also I'm really discussing with myself. You know, this cue of, let's say you say that to someone or in class, you say, if this hurts, don't do it. I think that is really risky business because what you are saying is that loading this part of the body, if that means pain, and <laughs> and you ask them not to do it if it's painful, then you're actually saying that loading is possibly causing pain, which is not always the case. Sometimes, and I'm not saying that you should push through pain at all, but sometimes a little bit of a curious um, approach to pain is helpful that you feel, okay, so what happens if I move this limb in that direction? Okay, there was something going on. Maybe you back off a little bit and you go back and you see what happens. Um, and also, you know, some people, they have chronic pain. What does that mean? Shouldn't They shouldn't move at all? Or what, what can you offer them? instead of just don't move if you if you feel pain right so it's tricky i think but really worth questioning you know what are you saying in class and also how are you talking about uh, injury do you say to your students um you have to do it this way otherwise you got to get injured <laughs> Is that something you say? Because that's something I sometimes hear. Like, mm. um, if you want to save uh, save your knee, you do that, which I think is quite responsible to say because there is no evidence for that. Or is it? Where is your source of that? Thank you. Yeah, I um, I was lucky enough to have a conversation with Neil Pearson. I don't know if you know him and his work. He's a Canadian yoga therapist and yeah um, oh yeah and researcher <laughs> yeah and he, we and it, i think it'll be coming out before this episode comes out so luckily we talked all about pain the okay. listeners <laughs> the listeners if they are regular listeners they will have had a little primer on that and so knowing that um yeah pain is such a such a fascinating situation i, I you know I, I haven't been practicing asana a lot these days, but I have um, have been going to the gym regularly, and I've just I've got some stuff going on in my hips that they're pretty good now. But I had bursitis from years of putting my leg behind my head. <laughs> I think mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I think that's what did it. I don't know. Lots of other stuff probably combined, but also similar to you in that I was only doing yoga, right? So I'm not blaming the poses, but I I was not. That was my movement diet completely. Um, and, and so now I'm, I'm just starting to like get serious about loading my squats in the gym. And I, and I sometimes have pain in my hips when I do that, but I feel so lucky to have had conversations with people like yourself and Neil and, um, you know, ha have a long history of, of feeling sensations and feeling feelings in my body that. I feel like my answer isn't to what do I do with that pain while I'm squatting or or warming up or whatever. 
my answer isn't black or white. Like I told my boyfriend, I was like, oh, my hips are feeling a bit funny. I'm just going to do X, Y, and Z. And he's like, well, we don't have to do anything. And I was like, no, no, <laughs> no. I'm just going to put a medicine ball under my butt so I don't go into that range that feeling a bit tricky. And I'm just going to you know, take a little bit of a lighter load. And I'm going to look at myself in the mirror and see if I'm doing anything weird when I'm like doing my squat. And it, I just felt like, oh, this is interesting to not have a... Um, a binary approach to pain and to try and um, like, just be curious, like what you were saying, be curious about like, what is this pain, you know? And, and, you know, that was last week and my pain is dissipated. Right. So I, whatever I was doing didn't make it worse. Um, But it was, it was a really nice thing to not be like, oh shit, I just can't go to the gym today. It was like, no, I can, I can be with this. It's just, I may have to, um, be present. Like I just had to be present with it. If I pushed through it, like, as you said, that's not what we're saying. Um, if I pushed through it and just loaded up my squat as normal and didn't put some supports around me and stuff, um, I probably would have hurt myself, but, um, yeah. Yeah. And also to feel that things are changing, you know, I also have a a thing going on in my knee and it's really annoying and all (laughs) that, but (laughs) some days is not hurtful at all. Um, but also, no, I think it's, I wish, maybe I should go, yeah, you know, go see to someone <laughs> to, yeah, exactly. <laughs> In fact, so that someone, because, you know, I work so much with my body and I'm teaching so much and, you know, putting myself self on the table, I think that is highly uncomfortable, but I think it's important too to have someone looking at you doing those movements, especially, you know, highly load, loaded movements at the gym. Yeah. Well, if I'm ever in your neck of the woods, <laughs> I'll, get you, I'll get maybe after COVID, I'll get you to get you to watch yeah. me squat. You're welcome. Uh, um, <laughs> so I, I just want to cover a couple more things because I know we're getting up close to our time. But um, if there was a teacher out there who is like, Olivia, I'm all for it. I do this sort of like exploratory movement in my own practice. It's something I enjoy, but I'm struggling to add it into my classes. Like I just can't get it to work or I feel awkward about it. Like, are there any um, like stumbling blocks or things that you're like, oh, watch out for this when you're adding this, this more, um, like autonomous movement into class, you'd probably want to be mindful of X. Are there any things like that that you can think of if someone's out there listening and wanting to incorporate this movement into their teaching? Mm. What I hear is, and this has been like over workshops um, that I've been offering about like teaching uh, semi-free classes. What I hear from people is that people are very occupied and worried about people's expectations. Maybe they are at the yoga studio and their class is yoga, blah, 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 something, something with yoga. And then people come to their class and they maybe don't get as much of, well, traditional asana as they maybe expect. And people are afraid of that. So... And I think, well, it's okay. (laughs) Um, I think it's good to be a little bit prepared. Like, let's say someone, a student is like, well, this this is not yoga. I don't don't recognize this movement from yoga. And if you feel that it's time, you can ask people, well, how do you define yoga? And I think beforehand, also having that conversation with yourself, 
what is yoga to you? How do you define it? And make sure that the things you are offering is within that range, what you, within the range of you um, defining yoga. And I think most people, they won't answering, well, yoga is when I am in lotus position, closing my eyes, you know, or it's not when I am in a, in a worry position. They were probably answering different things, more about the values, right? Soft values, like being a good person, um, uniting the body with the spirit, all that <laughs> things, and less about the actual poses that they are doing. But of course, there will be people who are like, well, that is not yoga because I cannot recognize them as asana. But I think that is a good thing to have, you know, feeling into, yeah, your own range. How far are you willing to go? And maybe not changing your whole class with your just, you know, experimental movements. I think one good way to start is, especially if you're maybe you're curious for this more open framed approach, you can take any asana that you're comfortable with teaching and you ask your students to, well, if, if this was a movement, if this asana was a movement, how would you move? So you're still in that position, but you are just a little bit more free to explore and to move. And already there, you have opened up for, yeah, a, a more open-minded approach, but people still feel that they are in this asana. So that could be a, a great, I think, transition for people to try out, I think. And then it's Again, coming back to what people expect that you are still, you know, living up to their maybe expectation about going to a yoga class, what that means, but at the same time, um, opening up a little bit. Yeah, that's super helpful and and very practical for people who, uh, yeah, it's hard to make like abrupt transitions into in your teaching style if people are coming and they expect something. Um to be able to start to incorporate it slowly, I think, is probably wise for you as a teacher because you'll get used to it and you'll be more confident in what you're doing, but also wise for your students so that they can um, adapt over time and grow with you as a teacher. Very much. And also it could be as easy as, let's say you are in a very uh, warrior position, Virabhadrasana A, for example. And instead of, you know, queuing knee should point there, glue your heels into the floor, square your hips. Instead, you can offer them to say like, okay, what happens if your heel is not that glued to the floor, but it's lifted or, and then, you know, heavy again? Or how does it feel if you tilt, tilt your um, pelvis? And how does it feel if you are not tilting the pelvis? How is your, what is your knee doing right now? How does, how does that feel? Is it something you feel that you need to correct? You know, and so they're still in the position, but there is, again, different options. Yeah, super, super helpful. Um, I think so. Yeah, I think so too, because it, 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 it's like the safe container that you recognize. It's like playing within, playing within the sandbox that you know. So you can like explore, but you don't have to go, um, you know, somewhere else completely especially if you're if it's if it's new to you and new to your students 
Exactly. And I think for many, it's very liberating because I've had students who are like, they've been devastating that they couldn't square their hips while gluing the back heel into the floor in Varabhadrasana. And then you suddenly, you know, you lose up that. Uh, and they're like, well, now I can, it feels good again, you know, and I can do warrior. <laughs> so, yeah, of course you can do warrior, but maybe you shouldn't, or maybe you can't score your hips and that's fine, but it's still a warrior, you know. So I think that has been, I mean, that's also, it's really helping your students to uh, to approach movement and positions in, in a more caring way, I think. So with as being a teacher and a student, but now a new physiotherapist, a new grad, um, and running your own workshops and teaching classes, like, you know, that's, and I know that you have, have a daughter as well. I mean, that's a lot to have on your plate at any given time. And I, I always like to hear from other people, like what the biggest challenge is in running, I'm going to call it your business, but like your whole teaching, um, situation or career or business that you're doing, what's the biggest challenge that you have experienced in that process? <laughs> there is many, <laughs> many challenges. <laughs> no, but, but I think, I think the main cha- challenge, um, still is, is that, um, I feel that I am working all the time, you know, yeah. I'm, always having my mind a little bit on my business yeah so um i'm really trying to give myself you know time boundaries for example saying that weekends are offline they are for the family unless they have a workshop obviously then it's going to be the workshop but you know really trying to uh, have free time but but it's not easy because it's only me, you know, if I'm not thinking about the business, no one else is going to do it. So it's very much up to me. Um, But I think, you know, with this pandemic, you know, that forced me to offer uh, online classes. And that was super, super scary and still is at times. Um, But I think that was the first time when I really acknowledged that just because I am a yoga teacher doesn't mean that I am good at running a business. And just because I have an Instagram account doesn't mean that I have a sustainable um, yoga business. And I know you you are really into that. That's your work, right? It is now, it, you know, it's, it's crazy to think that it is, but, um, yeah, it is now. Cause I, I've met so many people like yourself who are actually very talented in what they do. Um, but why would you be good at running a business? Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, exactly. it's not, it's not part of our training. And I mean, and also could it even be because 200 hours is all already quite short. So like, I'm not, knocking trainers for not putting it in their training because I don't I don't really think there's a lot of space for it but also yoga teachers don't even for most of us for a while don't even realize that we have a business <laughs> so exactly. it's like, it's like yes. why would you be good at it if you've never had any training or you didn't even know you had one until the pandemic <laughs> or whatever you know yeah I didn't know you know because I, I was offering classes here uh, in, in the studio but that doesn't mean again it doesn't mean that I'm running a, a business it just means that I am I'm offering classes you know so and it wasn't until I 
you know, started to offer things online. You know, I realized that in order to have a business, it must be some sale going on. <laughs> there what must do you mean? be some kind of no, I mean, you, you cannot have a business and not offering uh, offering anything. There must be something people can, you know, buy from you. Yeah, <laughs> well, definitely. <laughs> yeah, if you're yeah. not making money, you don't have a business. Exactly. And I didn't realize something this pandemic. And But it was such a relief, you know, when I put up my first, I call it the um, Unstuck Bundle, yeah. which was four classes. I was streaming them and recorded them and people could buy them. That was my first online uh, offering. Wow. Yeah. And and that's where like, oh, okay, this is, you know, it's a business now. And it was um, really funny and, well, not funny, but fun. Like I really enjoyed it. And also the, you know, the whole process of um, launching the thing and, you know, having marketing it, it was, yeah, a, a big step for me, but I also realized that I'm actually enjoying that process. I didn't know that before. Mm-hmm. Scary also because, you know, we see yourself on video, talking English and all that. <laughs> you just can't watch yourself. It's like, you know, the the one thing that I tell everybody is like, don't watch your own videos. <laughs> it's like, it's, if you can yeah, help but it, you, know, you have to get yeah, someone else you know, to edit them or something. Yeah, I, I'm not editing them, but I have forced myself to to watch them so that I can hear myself, you know, yes. see myself, what I'm yes. saying, like how, yes. how am I using my voice? I, I do that to, to get better, you know, but it's. Um, yeah. I think that that can be really helpful. Right. And they do, you do that a lot in um, like sports or acting or anything like that. You watch your video, if you video of you doing what it is you do, or, or if you can have um, like people you care about and you trust that actually know what they're talking about, like a mentor or something, watch your videos for that as well. Um, yeah, it's super helpful. It, it's not nice in the beginning, but also you get your thing, your um, skin gets thicker yes. <laughs> over time, I yes. think. Yeah. And you're like, okay, well, that was weird. That was maybe not the best thing to say or do. But, you know, it is what it is. It's not the end of the world. It just means that maybe next time that's not what you're going to do. Mm. Mm. It's okay, you know. <laughs> Yeah, that's a good point. I think I when I tell people to not watch their videos, it's like when they're making videos for like Instagram or something, I was like, just don't watch them, just post them. But I, I totally appreciate that distinction because if it's a class that you're teaching, it could be va- valuable to actually see what it is that you're doing. You could probably get some good, um, good learning and development with that. Yeah, very much. And I think that, you know, feedback back is very rare. Um, mm. Mm-hmm. And I think that's, you know, in, I don't know, I have, I have a sense of that in the yoga community. It's like, well, no, um, you shouldn't have feedback because it's your own, you know, process and you cannot be good at doing yoga. So you you shouldn't have someone else telling you what to do and say. But I mean, if you consider yourself being a yoga teacher, then it's, I mean, there is so many things that you can have feedback from. And it's not, you know, someone saying, you know, that was bad, but more like, okay, I didn't quite, that wasn't so clear. What did you mean there? Or here, it was very short time here. Maybe we could spend a little bit more time in this movement or the way you're using your voice and and, and all that. There's so much. So I think definitely that's something that we should get better at, at as colleagues, yoga colleagues. Yeah, well, it's, it's, I mean, we're opening another can of worms, but it's hard because most people don't um, have like, a, a staff at their studio or wherever they're teaching that 
does that sort of feedback and mentoring. As you said, it's rare. It's like, you know, it just happens um, very occasionally if the owner can make it to your class or, um, you know, you have a friend who's a teacher who comes to your class. Um, but yeah, it would definitely, I think it would definitely be helpful for development as a teacher. I know that when, um, you know, many moons ago when I had the studios, we would do that for the owners would do that for each other, you know, go to their, go to their classes and be like, that doesn't make any sense (laughs) what you're saying. And when it's, when it's done in like a good, um, like good hearted fashion and, you know, the person has your best interest in mind, you can really develop a lot more quickly that way. Yeah, of course. Like, like in any area, I think. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, Olivia, I just want to be respectful of your time because we have gone a little bit over. Um, so could you just answer one last question? It just involves finishing this sentence. If you really knew me, you would know. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) You would know that I am quite messy. How fun. (laughs) Yeah. I have things all over the place um, and I'm really trying to n- not having that. <laughs> <laughs> you know, my partner, he's like always after me, like, can you please have your stuff a little bit more together? I'm doing my best and I'm getting better. <laughs> I have I have a follow-up question if that's okay, because I am also messy. Mm-hmm. Um, are you messy, but like, do you clean up your mess and then it just appears again quite rapidly. <laughs> yeah. 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 Okay. I'm that person as well. It's like, I cleaned the house like yesterday completely. Like there's nothing on any surface. And then today <laughs> I've covered every surface again with stuff. Oh yes. Uh, yes. Right. Right. Do you have any tips on that? What are you doing to get better at it? Um, Putting things away. <laughs> putting things away. Yeah. But really I'm not a shopper, you know, and I, well, I was before, but now I'm very, I would say, well, I shouldn't call myself a minimalistic minimalist because I'm not, but I'm really trying not to have too much stuff, you know? Uh, and also, you know, I have my, I have a bag and I'm trying to have my, you know, my stuff, my notebook and my pens and my, um, keys, you know, I put them in the bag and then I know it's in the bag. The bag, I would say that's my <laughs> to go to the bag. bag. Okay. <laughs> I think I'm going to have to have a big, <laughs> big bag. Yeah, I don't, big bag. <laughs> I don't shop that much either, but it's like, you know, I find things to be messy about somehow. Um, cool. This was awesome. Thank you so much for coming onto the podcast. Uh, where can people find you? What's your Instagram and your website? Yeah, so both uh, Instagram and website is move with ease. So, and yeah, if the, for the website, it's movewithe.se. And for Instagram, it's only move with ease. And I guess if you Google, well, if you uh, put Olivia Berggren, Berggren, you will find it too. <laughs> Cool. That was that was a messy explanation. <laughs> Thanks for giving us the English pronunciation. Um, yeah. Cool. And I'll put links. I'll put a link to your Instagram and a link to your website. And is there anything else you have coming up um, that you want to tell people about? Any workshops or anything like that? Um, I don't have any scheduled workshops right now because I'm soon going on summer vacation, but I'm sure they will come up for the fall. But I just released um, uh, a little book I call Handbook in Speaking to the Body. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I saw that. Yeah, I'm really proud of that, actually. It's um, 
about 18 pages of um, content about quite practical tools in how you can deepen your relationship with the body. So it goes all from, you know, prioritizing rest to taking short breaks over the day to relax the belly, you know, uh, breathing down the belly, not pulling the navel in all the time. Um, moving with joy, you know, having a more curious, open approach to movement. Mm. So, and if you're interested in that, you can sign up for my newsletter and it will appear in your inbox. Cool. It's for free. Yeah. Awesome. <laughs> That's awesome. Cool. And I'll put a link. Um, I'll find the link to that and put it in the show notes as well. So people can just grab it. Yeah. Um, straight from there cool well this was awesome thank you so much for um your time yeah thank you thanks for listening to another episode of the teaching yoga podcast if you want to stay connected between shows make sure you join my weekly video newsletter the practice at coragerucom slash newsletter if you don't keep it real, then you go somewhere but here Cause you know we're only losing control just for a minute oh. If you don't like this music, then don't be listening to it You know I'm just a dude that you know or something similar If you don't keep it real, can you go somewhere but here Cause you know we're only losing control just for a minute Oh, 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 oh. Uh-oh.